Thanks for tuning in today. Please visit NemoursWellBeyond.org to catch all our episodes and sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also use the voicemail feature on the website to leave a message with your episode ideas or questions. You just might be featured on an upcoming episode of the show. Without further ado, let's go. Well Beyond Medicine. Welcome to Well Beyond Medicine, the Nemours Children's Health Podcast. Each week, we'll explore anything and everything related to the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. I'm your host, Carol Vassar, and now that you're here, let's go. Let's go, oh, oh, well beyond medicine. Joining me from the meeting of the Pediatric Academic Society's PAS in Washington, D.C. at this time is Dr. Pankaj B. Agrawal. He is Chief of Neonatology, Chair of Project Newborn, and Professor of Pediatrics and Genetics at the University of Miami Jackson Health. Dr. Agrawal is new to this role. He arrived at the University of Miami in February of 2023. You came from Boston Children's, where you were the director of the Neonatal Genomic Program and served as medical director of the hospital's Manton Center for Gene Discovery. Welcome, doctor. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. You are very excited. I guess mm. you were here yesterday and, and yes. asking yes. when you could be on. So yes. we're so grateful to have you. Well, and we you. love the passion and excitement. Mm. I want to talk to you before we get to the work mm. that you're doing, the research you're doing, yeah. the move to Miami. I want to talk about you. Mm-hmm. How did you mm-hmm. decide to go into medicine, mm. and what made you choose mm. genetics and the world of pediatric medicine and genomics in particular? Yes, a lot of it was serendipity, I would say. My brother, who happens to be a physician, he used to tell me stories. He's older to me, and he used to tell stories about medical school and how much fun it is to like work with so many people and sort of see patients. So. I got inspired by him, and that's when I decided to do medicine. And then my natural inclination is like pediatrics is working with kids is just such a privilege, I think, that I chose pediatrics. And then neonatology was something It also happened that I thought it would be a great career because newborns are at the junction of life, starts at newborn age. So I can make a difference there. And then genetics, as a fellow, I was taking care of a few babies that we could not make a diagnosis for. And they had certain genetic conditions and took us like months and months to find the cause. And that was the sort of turning moment for me to really look into genetics as an area of research. And I did a master's at Harvard in medical science where there was a course on genomics. And that really inspired me to go into my research into genomics. Talk about genomics. Give us the the 20,000-foot yeah. view of what genomics is, for those who may not know. Yeah. Genomics is like basically trying to understand like what every base pair in our body, we have like two gigabase of, of these letters, ATCG, and we don't know what they do. A lot of them we don't understand. So the whole body function, every cell that works, is all regulated by our genome. So think of like four letters, A, T, C, and G, controlling our lives and how they can make us different and how diseases develop. All this is super exciting. And we still don't know a lot of these things which we are trying to figure out. So it's a very active research area as well. 
So there are a lot of reasons why I love to work on genomics. Genomics is my passion, and uh, I feel like even if I can make a difference in one life, I feel like it's worth my time and my efforts. Those four letters put together in very different ways, yes. very different outcomes. Yes. And that's what we're trying to crack yes. the code on, really. Exactly. exactly. Uh, so talk about genetic sequencing. That's yeah. really the basics mm-hmm. of genetic sequencing. But give mm-hmm. us the, the, yeah. Yeah. the real view from your perspective. Yeah, so this technology started to develop in like 1990, late 1990s when we sequenced the human genome. And then we finally had the tools to really do it at a much rapid pace. So that started in like 2008, 2009. And since then, we have been able to really implement all these sequencing technologies in the clinic. And that's making a huge difference in uh, care of our babies and many children and patients to really get to the bottom of their condition. So it has really, the whole technology has caught up and that is so exciting that finally we we have arrived where we can use all these tools and they're getting cheaper as well to really get to the bottom of a lot of these conditions. So that's really how it's helpful to you as a medical professional, getting those sequences Mm -hmm. in the right sequence and figuring things out. Um, How is it applied in pediatric research? It uh, it is applied in uh, so many ways. Let's go with the neonatology. So neonatology, first of all, we uh, about 10 to 20% of our babies don't have a diagnosis when they're born. And a lot of them have an underlying genetic condition. Now with these sequencing technologies, we can get to the bottom of what they're affected by. Sometimes parents blame themselves. Maybe they did something wrong. They ate something or they had a fever or something else happened. And that's why their child, so they often blame themselves. But if you can find the cause and say that this is what the cause, that's why your child has this condition. They are relieved that at least there's nothing to blame themselves. But the most important thing is that we can also find treatments that is designed as precision medicine. We can design something specific for their child, and that time is coming. So if you cannot get to the bottom of the diagnosis, we cannot find treatment. And that's, that's just so exciting about this. And it's really personalized yeah. precision yeah. medicine in many ways based many ways. On, on the genome of that yeah, particular yeah. child. Yes, exactly. And in fact, I was involved in a case where we did develop a drug specific for that child, and that prolonged her life for a few years, and really helped us out. That was a revolutionary approach to like a sing end of one, as we call it, case where we can really work on finding new therapies. That must be very rewarding. Mm, it's very rewarding. And there's going to be more of that coming, isn't there? Absolutely. Not just Absolutely. one baby no. here and there. It's yeah. going to be yeah. generally worldwide. Yes. Let's yes. hope. Cross our it, fingers. Yeah, it, it is going to take time. I think the problem right now we have is that our immunologists are not fully aware of the potential of this technology. So my goal is to really spread the word that this is coming, and that this is one of the ways we can help our patients. So that's, that's where I feel like we can really make a difference. You've done some fantastic research, and you are the principal investigator for the Virtual Genome Center in Infant Health project known as Vigor. Uh, It's funded by the NIH to the tune of $5.4 million. Tell us about the work you and your colleagues are doing here. Yeah. So what what started as an idea when I was visiting one of the NICUs, which is not like a hospital-based huge NICU, which has a lot more resources. And they said that we can start to send some sequencing, but we don't know how to interpret it or often we cannot send it. 
So that sort of gave me an idea that why don't we build something where we can help those type of NICUs. There are many of those, or maybe almost 90% of NICUs don't have the resources, like geneticists or genetic counselors or other people who can help them. So why not we make a virtual center where we can not only help them with sequencing, but also help them managing their patients. And the patient will have, does not have to be moved from that hospital to a level three, level four hospital, or a bigger children's hospital type of thing. And that can save the families, they can stay with the families, and we can remotely help them to diagnose and then also help them manage. So that's where we started, and then we had four centers within Massachusetts and New Jersey join us, and now we are getting it to Miami as well. And any NICU that does not have the support of genetics and sequencing technology, we can we can help it's really important to have that team around the center and the research yeah. that you are performing. Yeah. Talk about the role of the different team members, specifically the genetic counselors. They play a really key role. Yes. So what we are trying to do is that we have a project manager who is a genetic counselor, and she is helping with every aspect of the project. So she's helping with enrollment of the patient because it's an IRB-approved NIH-funded study. We get the approval from the families. We, we make sure the samples are sent correctly, and then we get the results, and we get also get the data, and we analyze it in our own core team. So we have a team of bioinformaticians, postdocs, and a research assistant. They all work together along with the genetic counselor, who then make sure that the results that we get from this sequencing is conveyed to the families in a correct manner. So what we're trying to do is to really train the neonatologists how to disclose these results to the families and our genetic counselor is helping them to make sure that they feel supported. So the goal is to really train neonatologists and genetic counselor is helping in that in their role. Let's talk about the role of the family. This to many families is probably some sort of mm-hmm. almost miracle mm-hmm. treatment or mm-hmm. I hate to say mm-hmm. the word cure, but Uh, How are families reacting to the idea of genomic sequencing, use of genomics in treating their kids? I would say that in certain ways the families are ahead of the physicians because they really understand that this is so important for them. And uh, sometimes they are the ones who are pushing. For example, one of my patients who was in the NICU and sadly died, we could find the cause of their disease in their child. And then that family was so thankful that they started to do fundraising for my research. And also, they have two boys who are totally fine based on this diagnosis that we made. So there are families that are really want answers. They're really so much into, like, what happened? How did it happen? And I, if we can help by using these technologies, I think that's a great thing. Even if we don't find an answer, we tried our best. That's important. And in, in research, there is a lot of failure. Yeah, yes. yes. Uh, so when we do sequencing, about 25 to 30% of cases, we can find a cause. But remaining 70, 75%, we don't have a cause. But what we do then, we do research on those cases. We get the data, we look at ourselves, and in another 30, 35% cases, we can find an answer for them. You get up and you try again. Yeah, yeah we, tr- we keep trying. They keep trying. Are you still practicing clinically? I do, yes. Yeah, that's where I get my inspiration from, you know. Talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, because 
as, as I told you, the, my whole interest in genomics started from taking care of these couple of babies who just did not have a diagnosis. And then this family that I was telling you, I was happened to be on a Sunday morning taking care of this baby. And I, I realized that there, there may be something underlying genetic and found the cause for them. So we are encountering such patients every day. So these are the patients that we are, uh, I get inspired by. So in addition to just making a difference and taking care of babies, is uh, such a privilege. I feel like it's, uh, it's also for this type of patients, I have the unique skills and team to help me get to the bar. I want to turn the conversation a little bit towards health equity. Health equity is mm-hmm. uh, a movement in healthcare and a great movement in healthcare. How does that fit in with the research mm. that you're doing? And what's your kind of philosophy on health equity? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think the health equity is, uh, like, we are talking a lot about it these days. But I think that the project like Vigor is really an example of what we are trying to do. We want these NICUs that are under-resourced and don't have the funds to sequence babies or they don't have funds to interpret findings. We're all helping them by, by supporting using our infrastructure. So if a baby is born at, in a very big hospital, like think of Boston Children's or around area, the sequencing chances are a lot higher than if you're born in a small community. But if we can support those community hospitals by telemedicine, in some ways I feel like we are even getting ahead of these big hospitals because we can do it a lot faster. So You're doing it virtually. Yeah, virtually. So it's available where mm. maybe there isn't a large yeah. city center like Boston, New mm. York, Miami yeah. of, of mm. healthcare availability, which yeah. is, certainly speaks to health mm. equity. Let's talk about some of those barriers that are faced mm. by, by patients. Yes. Living in a rural area is just one. What other barriers do you see your patients coming up against? The biggest barrier, I think, is the awareness. That there is still lack of awareness of this approach, of this technology, of this way of uh, really getting to the bottom of the condition. So, for example, when I started doing this work at my hospital, the previous hospital, initially there was resistance to this. They said, what are you going to gonna get a name from this condition? What, how does it matter? But within a few years, once we showed how it impacts care in so many different ways, they turn around. They said this is the best thing to happen in the last 10 years or 15 years. Because it really, they can see in, in front of their eyes that this is really making a difference for, in so many ways. So we can send, like, sometimes there are other clinicians that need to be involved. Sometimes we can get treatments faster. There are so many ways that sometimes families have an answer. They can use it for their next child. There are so many ways it can make a difference. You're here at PAS. How has your time been here? How have your presentations gone? Any highlights that you're taking away and bringing back to Miami and bringing back to Florida? Yeah, I think that this conference has been amazing. I did a session uh, or a teaching course for genomics in newborn care. And there I called speakers from all around the country who are world experts in their fields so that we can, again, inspire the next generation of neonatologists to be involved in this field. Because that's something is... I, that's my goal, is to really get the next generation of our physicians, neonatologists to be excited about this and get into it. And it has been very successful, and I'm also networking with a lot of people so that we can tell them that this is available. Think of joining us, and we can grow this to a lot more NICUs who, who don't have those resources right now. Do you see genomics as the future of medicine? I think genomics is part of it, 
It's not the whole, but it has a major role to play, and we cannot ignore it. There is other technologies like multi-omics, transcriptomics, proteomics, and we are using all these tools in our research. They're not so much into clinical care at this time, but that may be the next thing to come. But genomics is the big part of it. So, yeah, it is coming. What kind of awareness do you want to raise with patients and families in particular? I know you're you're looking to nurture that neonatology uh, track of new researchers and new doctors coming into the field. But what do you want parents and families to be aware of? I think the parents and families, I want to tell them that they should not give up. They should just not fully rely 100% on their medical team. You should think of like, is there something there I can, someone else can do? So I know that the families are very like active and they want answers. So they need to keep pushing. They should not give up. Thanks for listening to our conversation on genomics in pediatric healthcare with Dr. Pankaj B. Agrawal, Chief of Neonatology and Professor of Pediatrics and Genetics at the University of Miami Jackson Health. We recorded this interview with Dr. Agrawal at the 2023 meeting of the Pediatric Academic Societies, PAS, in Washington, D.C. One recurring theme we heard from people visiting our mobile podcast studio at PAS is that there are numerous definitions of the term well beyond medicine. Here are the voices of a few of the people from our time there with their own definitions of well beyond medicine. You know, research to me in a way is well beyond medicine because research really doesn't really have too many borders. We, we can kind of go as far as we want to go. Uh, from, you know, looking at something very minute and, and very specific to something very broad. LBN medicine, to me, means addressing those barriers outside of the hospital, meaning going beyond medicine and addressing some of those social determinants of health. So going upstream in healthcare, I think Well Beyond Medicine acknowledges so much of what our folks do outside of their job. For me, Well Beyond Medicine is reaching out and having the conversation, educating parents, families, uh, providers, payers. It's critical that we are all unified in message and providing that access. So I I think that would be a a truly game-changing opportunity. I think we're, we're advocates for our communities. We're advocates for the the children and the families that we're taking care of. I, I think it means that we're not going to put healthcare into a box. I think health, it, it's something that's nuanced. I think it's something that's kind of a living type organism that, that continues to grow and expand and it's going to be different from one place to the other. So I think we're going to be flexible in the way that we think about how to take care of children. And that is what I think is going to be pretty exciting about the future. Thanks to Jennifer, Drew, Mario, and Jonathan for sharing with us their definitions of Well Beyond Medicine and lending their voices to the podcast. What about you? How would you define Well Beyond Medicine? Continue the conversation by leaving us a voice memo at namorswellbeyond.org. That's namorswellbeyond.org. 
Just click the little red microphone icon in the middle of the screen and your voice memo gets to our team as soon as it's finished. You can also share your episode ideas and feedback on this or any episode the very same way. While you're there, check out our other episodes, subscribe to the podcast, and leave a review. Thanks to Che Parker, Cheryl Munn, Susan Masucci, and Jennifer Reardon for this week's production assistance. Join us next week as we discuss the cutting-edge research being done by neonatologist Dr. Brett Manley of the University of Melbourne. He and his team are leading the way in treating an all-too-common complication of preterm babies, bronchiopulmonary dysplasia, or chronic lung disease of prematurity. Until then, remember, together, we can change children's health for good, well beyond medicine. Let's go, oh, oh, well beyond medicine.